becoming a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, it's not like joining a country club. You know, if you pay your green fees, you're allowed in the club and everything's good. It's not an event. They don't give you a piece of paper. I never got one that says that you're a member and that you're approved. Or And if you meet somebody that pulls out a card and it says they are an official Christian, I would run if I were you. It's unlike anything on the face of the earth. That's because it's a spiritual thing that takes place. And we know some things about it, and we can define some things, but there are still times when things happen that we don't know what it is. And we can't explain it. So, it's a lifelong journey. That's the best way I can describe it for you. It's, it's not something that happens to you, although some people can look back on a particular date and say, wow, that's when I became a Christian. And other people cannot. You know, it would be sort of compared to uh, riding on the train and you're going to cross from one state to another. And so one guy is dead asleep, and so he wakes up in the other state. Now, he knows he's in a new state because he sees that it's a different state. He doesn't know when that happened. He was asleep, but he knows he's there. Other people, they're fully awake. They see that marker. They see that boundary, and they can say exactly where they were and what was going on and what they were doing when they crossed over. And so that's how it is in faith. Some people can point you to a date. Other people cannot. We've been working really hard to make this a safe place. Our church is different because our church is not a big group of Christians who've gathered together to worship God. Our church is a big group of Christians and non-Christians together in the mix to explore faith and worship God. And so it's a little bit unique in that sense. And so we're working hard to make it safe. And I want you to know that um, you, can, you can be assured this morning that whatever goes on in your little uh, table cluster this morning, that we've worked really hard to make it safe so that you can feel comfortable, ask the questions you have, uh, address the issues you have. At each table, there's a good mix of Christian, non-Christian. And so hopefully... You will experience that this morning. <clears throat> Tell you a couple stories. The uh, Exxon Valdez, when it crashed in Alaska, remember that? And they had all these people go there, and they rescued some seals. And uh, they spent $80,000, pretty much, to uh, restore each one of those seals that they caught. They were covered in oil. And so they, they captured them, they cleaned them up rehabilitated them, and they were going to release them back into the wild. And so they had this big celebration, and all these people on the shore, they released these two seals out in the ocean. It was so beautiful. They had the cameras there, and these seals just jumping in the water and playing, and just glad to be free. And then out of nowhere, a killer whale comes out of the water and eats them both. <laughs> and no kidding, the people on the shore were shocked out of their minds, fell in the sand, weeping. This story about this woman who uh, came home and uh, she saw her husband in the kitchen and he had this wire coming from his arm and it went onto the countertop and went behind the toaster. And 
she's shaking like this, you know, shaking violently. And she just instantly knew what that was. She knew that he was somehow doing something with a toaster. And it was, it, it was, he was being shocked. So she went in the back porch, grabbed a two by four, came in, because that's what you're supposed to do. And she took that thing and she hit him on the arm as hard as she could, broke his arm in two places. So he screams, climbs up off the floor, pulls out the headphones on his iPod and says, what are you doing? There was a group of of animal rights activists who were really upset about this, what was going on at this slaughterhouse. And they were slaughtering pigs at this particular slaughterhouse. So they decided to schedule a protest. And so you go, these, uh, these two animal rights activists standing around the fence of this, uh, this pen where they had all these pigs. And they, are, they have banners, and they're screaming and shouting and chanting about the atrocities that are taking place at this slaughterhouse. Well, apparently, you're not supposed to do that around a bunch of big pigs in a herd like that. And so the pigs got frightened and upset and ch- charged after those two, broke through the fence, and trampled them to death. The last story, or two more, was about an Iraqi, and uh, his name was, I can't pronounce it, K. Rahajet. Anyway, he, uh, he wanted to do these letter bombs, so he packaged this letter, uh, rigged it to, to explode, some sort of chemical, whatever. He forgot to put enough postage on it, so it came back, returned to sender, forgot that it was his, opened it up, and blew up in his face. And the last one, we bought over the weekend a brand new Auric XL. Have you heard of this? Oh, this is like the Cadillac of vacuum cleaners. I mean, this is an impressive company, folks. If you need a new vacuum cleaner, I highly recommend the Auric XL. And you can get it on sale at Costco. Anyway, I get this yesterday, so I'm at home by myself, and I've unpacked this. I read the whole, all the directions, and this is an amazing piece of equipment. So I am so excited. I grab this thing, and I am vacuuming everywhere. I'm vacuuming the whole house. My wife comes home, sees me, stops, and says, what's wrong? I think she thought we were going to get a divorce or something, and I was cleaning all of those stories I told you, with the exception of the last one, are urban legends and have all been pr- proven to be false. All of them, except the last one. How can we know our faith is based on something more than a fairy tale or a good story or something that somebody has told? Maybe it's been passed on down through the ages. What makes a Christian a Christian? Some people say, well, I'm a good person. I met a guy one time and he told me that he knew he was a Christian because he was doing good things. And he was just hoping that one day the good that he had done in his life would outweigh the bad and he would be accepted by God as a Christian. Some people say that being a Christian is the family tradition. My parents were Christian and their parents were Christian. And so naturally, I'm a Christian. Some people say, well, being a Christian is believing in God. 
But you might not know this in James chapter 2 and 19. It says that even demons have faith that God is God. Does that mean they're Christians? Or the most common one that you hear is, I go to church. Well, if you sleep in your garage, does that make you a Chevy? People who took the previous Alpha course before you, we asked them a question. We said, would you have called yourself a Christian at the beginning of the Alpha course? And these are the answers that they gave us. Yes, but without any real relationship with God. The other person, their answer was, sort of. One person said, I'm not sure. There's a guy, he literally wrote on his card, ish. Okay. Christian, ish. Another, yes, I'm a Christian, but though looking back, maybe no. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. After these folks finished that Alpha course, we asked them about their faith and what happened to them in that process of going through Alpha. And one person wrote this. I experienced God for the very first time in my life. It was a feeling of completeness and the need for forgiveness that I so desperately needed was satisfied. Another person wrote, my life has changed radically and for the better. I'm a new person now. I'm a Christian. God wants us to be sure of our faith. He wants us to have confidence in our faith. He doesn't want us going around questioning constantly, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Based on my feelings, based on my actions, based on what is happening in my life, we can know. In 1 John 5 and 13, it says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Believing and receiving, they go hand in hand. John 1, 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the Bible uses an analogy of a relationship to help us know about the, uh, to have confidence in our faith. So if you're in a relationship, you know whether or not that relationship is real, right? I mean, how would it be if you asked my wife, my lovely wife sitting down here in front, are you married to John? And she gave answers like, well, yes, but without any real experience of a relationship. Or sort of. Are you really married to John, Joy? Uh, I'm not sure. Ish. Yes, though looking back, possibly no. I think if you asked my wife if she was in a relationship with John, she would say something like this. John? Oh, you mean the most wonderful man in the world? Intelligent, great father, excellent golfer, and nearly as good looking as Brad Pitt? Of course I'm married to John. I know that she's 
married to me. I know that I'm married to her. But that wasn't enough for the state of Washington. They require a certificate. They require proof. So we had to go and we had to get some written proof. I know I'm married to her. She knows she's married to me. But we had to have proof. It's not based just on feelings. Have you noticed that your feelings change from day to day? About a lot of things, you know, one day you love your job, the next day you hate it. One day you love your wife, the next day you hate her. So it cannot be based on our emotions. I'll show you a picture. It was uh, painted by Holman Hunt. It's a very famous picture. It's called The Light of the World. It's in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And he painted this picture based on a scripture I'll share with you in a moment. And uh, when he first unveiled the painting, somebody said, oh, you, you made a mistake. There's, there's no handle on the door. Says Jesus, oh, where'd it go? Ready? Ta-da! Picture of Jesus uh, standing at the door. He's knocking on the door, but there's no handle. And so uh, Holman said, no, it's not a mistake. The handle is on the inside. Only Jesus can open the door. You must knock, and then Jesus opens the door. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. So faith must be based upon facts and not feelings. You might have heard the analogy of three men walking along a fence. The first man is fact. Behind him is faith. And behind him is feelings. So faith must always look ahead to facts. Because if faith turns his head and looks back at feelings, he falls off the fence. And what's more importantly is this. As long as faith is walking forward with his eye on the facts, the feelings follow. Faith in Jesus will produce many different feelings. But it is also based upon facts. My relationship with my wife produces many, many feelings. But its strength, its quality, its longevity is based upon a commitment to love and cherish her all of my life. So faith is based upon real Events, events that happened in the life of Jesus Christ, events that took place through his life and through his power. What Jesus has done, not based upon what I have done. And that's a big difference in Christianity from other religions is my faith is based upon Jesus and his works, not on me and my works. So how do I know I'm in a relationship with joy? Well... On May 12th, 1988, we had a wedding. Oh, sorry. 89. It's on here. I'm in trouble. Yeah, so better sound a little vodka in here. That would help. 
No. Uh, so on May 12, 1989, we had a wedding and we invited all of our friends and the minister was there and we had this great ceremony and we got married. So I know I'm married to her. But I also know that I married her based upon some facts. Not just my emotions, not just my feelings. A good way to describe what faith is, is through the life of uh, Jean-Francois Gravoulet, better known as Blondin. You might have heard of him. Uh, he's a type, he was, you can even have his picture up there. There he is. He was a tightrope walker, and he walked across the uh, span from Canada to the United States on across the Niagara Falls. Okay, it's uh, 169 feet, I believe, uh, across this span. And he would set up the rope and walk back and forth. And he was world famous for this because he did what nobody else would do. He went across that rope on stilts one time. He walked out into the middle of the rope with a frying pan, a stove, and two eggs. Went out there and he cooked two eggs in the middle of that rope ate them, and then walked back. One time he had a massive crowd there, and there was actually one of the lords of London who was there visiting and watching the whole occasion. And he decided to do something he'd never done before, and so he went out across that with a wheelbarrow. And so he's pushing the wheelbarrow all the way across, came all the way back, and said to the crowd, he said, all right, you've seen me do all kinds of amazing feats on this. Will anyone get into the wheelbarrow and go across with me? Now, they just saw him cook an egg out there. Still, I mean, they know he can do it. Did anyone volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow? Only one person. Not the guy from England, his mother. Blondin's mother was the only person who was willing to get in the wheelbarrow. And so she climbed in, he carted her all the way down and all the way back. Now, faith is not merely intellectual, although it is intellectual, it's not merely intellectual, and it's not merely factual. It involves putting your trust in someone else, like Blondin's mother did with him. So there were many reasons you would not get in that wheelbarrow, right? I mean, we could think of a lot of reasons why you wouldn't trust him and you wouldn't go in there. First, you're unsure of his motives, right? You don't know if he's going to be able to take you across but dump you out just because he doesn't like you. So you don't know his motives. You don't know what he's going to do. Then there's this problem that he's a Frenchman. That's a big problem right there. As we know, what's the, I love telling this joke, uh, it's the worst joke in Alpha, but I love telling, what's the French war cry? We surrender? Yeah, okay. Um, Maggie's going to get me later for that. It could be that the wheelbarrow was made by a Canadian company. There are a lot of reasons why you shouldn't put your faith in someone. Have you heard this about the mathematics of probability? This is an actual scientific mathematical formula where uh, one way to illustrate it would be to uh, take a monkey and put the monkey in front of a typewriter and have that monkey type 
for infinity. So for all time. So this is an exceptional monkey, okay? He never gets tired, he doesn't eat, and he types forever. He will eventually type out perfectly one of Shakespeare's plays. Hamlet or something like that. Okay? That's the theorem of probability. So you get a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriters typing for infinity, and eventually they're going to type out a masterpiece. Well, some students at MIT thought they would put that to the test. And so they didn't have a whole bunch of monkeys. They only had four. And so they took the four monkeys and four typewriters and had them type away for a whole week. But they had to feed them because these weren't super monkeys. So they would feed them and all that. But they would type as much as they could. And in one full week of four monkeys typing, how many words did they type? You, you know, some words are two letters, right? Is there a one-letter word? I? How many letters did they type? How many words did they type? Zero. That takes a lot of faith. (laughs) Because scientists tell us that that kind of probability is how the earth was created. How the universe was created by a mathematical probability. That over millions and millions of years, it became complex. I tell you, that takes enormous faith. But when you put your faith in something, you trust that person. You trust them with your life, with your whole weight. It's the kind of trust that you would put in your rope if you were mountain climbing. You ever done this? You know, go climb a mountain and hang on those ropes and your whole life is hanging on that rope. You're putting a lot of faith that that rope is going to hold you. Or how about skydiving? I would love to skydive someday. I think that'd be amazing. But you jump out of that airplane in the faith that your parachute was packed properly and is going to open when you pull that cord. That's what faith is. So you know your faith is strong enough When that faith is based upon Jesus Christ and his works and what he said. Finally and last, we know we have faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. I know I have this relationship with my wife, Joy, because I had a wedding. I was given a license. And on top of both of those things, I have 22 years. Get that right? 22 years of wonderful experiences. 22 years of experiences with joy that I know I can look back on and say, that is proof, that is evidence of my relationship with joy, my marriage to her. The Bible refers to this kind of faith that comes from the Holy Spirit as an inner witness and a good way to, to tell the story is about a, a, a songwriter named Carl Tuttle. We actually sing some of his songs at our church. And uh, he wanted to, to write a song one day. He, he came from a very rough background. He didn't really uh, have a father and a rough childhood. And so he wanted to write a song about God as father. 
And he, he was having a tough time coming up with the feelings, the emotions. It just wasn't there. He didn't have a father. He couldn't come up with it. And so he decided to get in his car, go for a long drive, and he's just going to pray and really ask God to help him come up with a way to write a song about God as our father. And he goes out and drives all around, comes back, nothing. So he's frustrated, irritated. He goes up to his uh, son's bedroom. who's laying there in, in his crib. And he reaches down and grabs that little boy. And just that, that love hit him. And if you have children, you'll know about that kind of a love. And he just held that boy tightly and he just whispered over him. He said, I love you. I love you so much. I would give my life for you. I'm going to be a good father to you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I love you with everything in me. And in that moment, he felt inside of him like God was saying, and son, that is exactly how I love you. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. It gives us that interconfidence, that inner insight and wisdom that God is real and that he loves us. Spirit to spirit communication. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.16 says this, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So let me ask you a question this morning. And this is the big moment of the morning, the big question. Do you know? Are you sure? Really sure? That you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and that you have a relationship with him. And do you know that so sure as if walking on thin ice? Or do you know that so sure as though you were walking on solid concrete? God wants you to be sure this morning. And you can be sure. Maybe you're not sure this morning because... You've never started that relationship of trust that I talked about. Or putting your faith, your trust in someone else. You've never started that relationship. Maybe you have heard about God and you've heard about Christianity and you've always been drawn to it. But nothing's ever been there because that relationship isn't there. I want to tell you this morning how you can start that relationship. The relationship starts simply by putting your trust in Jesus. There's a prayer I'd like to point you to. It's on page 93 of your booklet. We took a look at it last week. I'd like you to take it out and look at it again. Page 93 in those little green booklets. This is a simple prayer. And there is no exact prayer, okay? I told you that last week. This is just a prayer that somebody wrote. You don't even have to pray this one. You could pray your own. This is like a guide. This has just some basic components in it. And the way you start 
putting your faith in Jesus is to pray to him, talk to him. A simple prayer just like this one. So what I'd like us to do, I prayed this prayer last week. and I'd like to pray this prayer all of us this week. And so what you can do, you know, if you're a Christian, then you know this already. And you can simply pray it as an affirmation. But if you're not a Christian yet, then you can pray this prayer for the very first time. And what you can do is, is as I pray it out loud, you can just follow along by reading it in your book. But in your heart, know that you're communicating that to God. He knows the difference. God knows when you mean it. He's present right here with us through the Holy Spirit. And so he's ready to receive and communicate and connect with you this morning. So as I pray the prayer, you can follow along with me this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I have done wrong. I now turn from everything I know that is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. I now receive your forgiveness and I ask you to come into my life by your spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.